Welcome back to Channel KRT, the podcast filmed in front of a live studio audience at Nickelodeon Studios in Universal Studios, Florida. Yay! This podcast is magically being filmed in 1994. (laughs) I guess you could say this podcast is fresh out the box. Ah, I'm Kate Quinn, and I do not control the speed at which the careers of the people in this show die. I'm Tyler Green, and the secret slime action is nitpicking for the sake of comedy. I'm Randy Martin, and I repeat things for emphasis. Emphasis! (laughs) (laughs) And helping us tackle this thing we're covering today is someone truly awesome you know him as the creator of such shows as fallen titans you know him as the creator of the popular retrospectives on iCarly, victorious and more to come and you know him on twitter as q review ladies and gentlemen quentin reviews hey, yeah. <laughs> it's glad to be here yeah we're, we're glad to have you i bet you're glad it wasn't grow up timmy turner after all <laughs> Yeah, we were originally talked about doing Grandma Timmy Turner, but I was like, I, I feel like we should do something I haven't like watched yeah. recently. Yeah, because let's be real, I think that the entire Fairly Odd Parents live action movies are a twenty hour thing on its own. Because yeah, <laughs> I mean it's a double edged sword because regardless, we are talking about one of the biggest, well, two of the biggest pieces of shit to come out of Nickelodeon. Sigh. <laughs> oh boy. Oh my god, this isn't just an elephant in the room episode, this is like a stampede of elephants episode. (laughs) Remember when we thought it was weird that we reviewed a show that almost had an O.J. Simpson cameo? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so this week we're throwing it all the way back to 2006 to talk about Drake and Josh go Hollywood. So what is everyone's relationship with Drake and Josh starting with Kit? So I did go through a phase where I really loved this show because by love the show, I basically just loved whatever was on. And it was basically one of the only live action shows that could keep my attention for longer than 10 minutes. So... I gotta give it credit for that, and in some ways, it's the best show Dan Schneider's made that's not all that, and also further reading into his psyche in the worst possible way. So are you saying that Keenan and Kel is lesser to Drake and Josh? Oh, that's right, I'm sorry. <laughs> that doesn't count as much, because Dan Schneider was a part of the pilot episode, and he helped in the casting, but he wasn't a showrunner, so a lot of people forget he made the Keenan and Kel pilot, but... Oh yeah, that's right. I mean, he takes credit for it itself (laughs) there's this like genetic component to like where you can track the lineage of where you can you can tell like oh there's a little bit of history here and that's definitely there with keenan and kel because i haven't seen a lot of that show but i know that there's like this white nerdy character who i think is their neighbor Mm -hmm. and the history of that character is that he's basically copied and pasted it's the same actor from uh head of the class dan schneider and, and that actor were like two of the leads in that show and they basically played this like fat, skinny, comedic duo kind of thing. And it was very similar to how Drake and Josh are written. Oh, wait, I think I know who you're talking about. Aren't you talking about the guy who played uh, Chris, the shop owner? Yeah, that's who it is. Yeah, him. And so when he was making Keenan and Cal, he was like, I want to call back up that guy I was in that sitcom with and put him in this show, you know, just because it's like he was there from the beginning. And so that's what Dan Schneider contributed to that show. <laughs> yeah. And for what yeah. it's worth, Dan Frischman was a pretty good part of that show. Any other show out of the collection has more to do with the Schneiderverse than that show because it's just yeah. like everything from starting with the Amanda show, arguably starting with the Good Burger movie forward, everything Dan Schneider was involved in, you can just feel his presence at all times. It's weird. Yeah. It's especially evident in the later seasons of all that because there's a point where you can tell like after the last original season where it goes from you know, a collective of different producers doing their own thing to it being directly just Dan Schneider's show altogether. And I think that kind of killed it for me later on, even though I do have some fond memories of those seasons. I mean, what other show had a very not dated at all element of Keenan doing Cosby impressions? Uh, that's where he got to start, because before Cosby got canceled, that's one of the things Keenan was known for. He was in the goddamn Fat Albert movie, you know? <laughs> but hey, he's thriving now while Cosby's rotting, so hey. Huzzah! Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is one of my thesis things in my videos, is these shows take up the separate sphere from their creator, and you always feel this pull to wipe your memory of bringing it up (laughs) and so uh talking about my relationship with drake and josh outside of the creator i started watching this show i think i'm pretty sure i saw like 
when it started airing. I don't. I think I missed the pilot until years later. And I, as soon as I started watching it, I thought it was like the most brilliant comedic thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. I was very, very into Drake and Josh. I held it at such a high standard. I remember if you had asked me, interview me as a kid, I would have said exactly this. You knew Drake and Josh was good because Drake and Josh would do like a joke that every other kid's show was doing and they would do it so well that no one else would touch it. That's a good point. The example to me is nothing rhymes with orange. Every kid's show used to do that, especially on Disney Channel. Every kid's show used to do the, hey, what rhymes with orange? orange every single kid's show and then drake and josh did it one time and it was so funny no one ever did it again yes and to me that was always like this and for those who don't know the joke they did was that josh hits his head on a door hinge and he says i hit my head on the door hinge and drake goes door hinge brilliant (laughs) (laughs) honestly this show is still hella quotable is honestly why it's one of the better shows because in spite of its issues including a very dated actor i gotta say that it really survives off of its cast and how strong the humor is it leans more into the style of nickelodeon i just want to say i think one of its big strengths is that with a lot of these shows that were made by dan schneider all the people's favorite moments in a lot of these shows are just like some wacky one-liner or some joke that's like two seconds long and in most any other show he made it feels like they're breaking character to do that bit because it has nothing to do with the rest of the story writing where with drake and josh these two characters are very uniquely tuned that you know when they say an odd one-liner that is their character yeah i agree like the writing for this show is a lot better than it really has any right to be especially Mm -hmm. considering again all the problematic figures on the show but at the same time there was just a lot of memorable content to it. It really was. And Josh Peck, in my opinion, is the glue that holds the show together. Yes. Oh, without a doubt. Hard fucking agree. He carried this show. Josh is an amazing comic actor. It's really no wonder why we've been seeing more of him as a comedic actor in stuff than we have Drake nowadays, because I really think he has a good knack for it. My friend actually got to meet him way before the pandemic happened, so... Holy shit! Oh, shit, that's awesome! Yeah, she said he was hella awesome, and he kind of pokes fun at his time on Drake and Josh in a fun way. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, one time I flew into LA for a convention or something stupid, and I got off the airplane, and I was waiting for my luggage to come around. It was just at the main LA airport. And so I'm walking around, I'm just waiting, and then about a foot in front of me, it's Drake Bell. Oh, oh, I'm oh, so no. sorry, man. And I was like, should I ask for a photo? And then I was like, this is the first celebrity I've met in LA. And then this voice in the back of my head said, but no one has to know that. <laughs> you could keep that to yourself and then wait until you meet a different celebrity in LA. <laughs> I actually have a Drake Bell story. It's not my story exactly, but this is something someone tweeted at me yesterday because I was tweeting about a certain connection between Drake and John Stamos. And Twitter user Sue Cassidy tweeted to me, Our son punched Drake Bell in the face at a Pizza Hut audition once because Drake was being a dick to him. Fuck yes. Well, he got the job, right? I didn't ask her. She also said they were both six years old. Yes, Drake Bell was already a dick at six years old. Wow. (laughs) Sue, I do not drink beer by any means, but... I would gladly buy your son a beer. Yeah, I I agree. Absolutely. If I met that six-year-old, I'm taking him right to a bar. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's your first drink, kiddo. Yay! (laughs) Uh, Sorry, I can't serve beer to a six-year-old. No, you don't understand. The six-year-old punched Drake Bell in the face. Oh, here you go. (laughs) So the weird thing about Drake and Josh is it was definitely, I thought at the time, I thought I insisted it was like some high-class, underrated, like best show of all time. Yeah. And I remember when iCarly started, I made a big deal out of the fact, even though I watched iCarly constantly, I was like, yeah, it's good, but it's not like Drake and Josh good. I just want to clarify that. I was very pretentious you know, 13 year old. Yeah. <laughs> but when I watched it, when people say like Drake and Josh's age perfectly, I kind of disagree because it's such a mean, bitter show. Yeah. That's the only problem with it. Like Josh is still a good character and that's like the anchoring thing that makes it still watchable. But the universe and everyone in the universe besides from him is so bitter that it's just, it makes it hard to sit through sometimes. Like there's a scene in the movie that I watched that we watched, like the two fat people on the airplane 
That was so uh, hard uh, to sit through. And there's like so much of that shit in Drake and Josh. Which sucks because Josh is probably the first time Dan Schneider doesn't write. Well, he writes him kind of pathetic, but it's not because he's fat. Not to mention it's like, yeah, Josh is usually the butt of misfortune, but he still gets his moments. He gets a girlfriend. He's successful academically. His teachers love him. All that good shit. Drake and Josh, and this is me kind of getting into my history with it. Drake and Josh was the first show that I have actually had moments where it's enraged me. Theater thug, that is all. Theater thug, the Peruvian Puff Pepper episode, Mm -hmm. Treehouse episode. Just, good lord, those were the first pieces of media I have felt legit rage towards as a kid i can kind of give the treehouse one a little bit of leeway because it did give us the door hole meme but yeah (laughs) it also gave us them screaming megan out the window megan 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 Screaming Megan out the window is my favorite Silk Sonic song. Yay. (laughs) I'm going to have a really spicy take here, but I can't fucking stand Megan. Or their parents, for that matter. They are fucking horrible. Megan's a weird character because depending on the episode, she's either just like really bitchy or she's literally Stewie Griffin. And it's like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I kind of love to hate her because she's so bad, but Miranda Cosgrove is really damn good at playing such a hateable little character. It's no wonder why she got her own show. Honestly, I think she's better at playing Megan than she is Carly. No, no, there's no doubt. I think that's a very common take that it's like, it's such a weird thing that Megan is this very concentrated, carefully performed bit. That is very, very fascinating. And then Carly is just the main character of a show. There's nothing unusual about that because it's just like you look at like any Disney Channel show. It's just like there's the a main character archetype. At least Megan, unlike Carly, is self-aware that she's fucking terrible and she owns it. Yeah. When Carly and the gang do bad shit, they kind of have like this moral superiority that they're doing the right thing, even though... What they're doing is like low key shitty. Well, I mean, I'm so into Victorious, which is that a thousand times worse that now I'm very nostalgic for when I was watching at Carly. So it's like, oh, well, they weren't that bad. They didn't kill as many people as the cast of Victorious. <laughs> I'm been keeping count. Cat has killed three people. Just her. She's killed. Three people yes. are dead because of Cat. I counted. <laughs> I like to think that Kat just pretends to be stupid, but knows damn well what she's doing. (laughs) One of the iCarly episodes that really pissed me off as a kid was the Shelby Marks episode, where it literally ends with them beating the shit out of Neville off screen. It's literally one of the darkest moments on the show, bar none. What's weird about Victorious to me is that, in hindsight, it's so weird to me that the feet jokes aren't the worst part of that show. Yeah, it was no. like it was really like, I feel like after Dan Schneider had that string of like, he worked on all that, then I think he wrote the Good Burger skit, that's a question mark, but he wrote the Good Burger movie, then he made the Amanda show. Yeah, he wrote Good Burger with uh, some of the All That writers, Kevin Coppolo and Heath Seifert, who I interviewed, by the way. Yes! Great guys. Then he went to the Amanda show, Drake and Josh, Zoe 101. As soon as he hit that stride, I think Nickelodeon was like, you can literally do whatever you want. Actually, yeah. it was probably right after he made iCarly. And then I think once he had that power, he was like, okay, we're going to get pretty weird with this. <sighs> so Nickelodeon was like, you can do whatever you want. And then he did whatever he want. And Nickelodeon was like, okay, no, <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't have let you do what you want. You're fired. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be fair, I mean, he created a few more shows before they let him. I I believe I read somewhere that one of his shows, it might have been Victorious. It might have been Game Shakers. But for one of his shows, they green and let it before he had a title or a script. Or like any concept. They were like, just make a show. We don't care. Uh. <laughs> but that's the weird thing is it's such an, a vague area that I, I could see someone trying to argue that it wasn't even him. His presence is so vague. Sometimes it happens in episodes that he didn't write. And it's like, it's so hard to figure out. Did he have friends that were also had some weird shit going on? You know what I mean? I feel like Dan Schneider is a lot similar to Michael Eisner in that they have really good ideas but they need, like, people to kind of, like, keep them grounded 
or else they just fly way too close to the sun. I've decided when I officially talk about Dan Schneider, one of the points I want to make is that people act like Dan Schneider is kind of like the teeny bop Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. When I think he's more like the teeny bop Josh Whedon. You, I think that's that, a bad oh, way to yeah. yeah, he feels a lot more Josh Whedon-y than anything else, you know what I mean? And I think a, a lot of things he got in trouble from wasn't even like fetish stuff. It was that like... He apparently had such a short temper with the kids he was working with. That's unsurprising. And yeah. so that I believe that was like the thing that he was ultimately investigated for. Not to mention, I heard he was like such a huge dick to the people in the cartoon department. He was like, if I ever want an easy job, I'll just get into animation. And then he <laughs> got into animation with the Henry Danger series. And it made Go Animate look like Don Bluth. <laughs> I will say I watched some of the Henry Danger cartoon and that is so better than the Henry Danger show that it's shocking. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't think it was him because I I feel like he was too busy, but I I feel like they just put his name on it. But the Henry Danger show, despite the fact that it it looks cheap, everything about that show is so much more watchable than the actual Henry Danger show. Because Henry Danger is the most unjustifiable show I've ever set my eyes on. And I had to watch like 20 episodes of it just for like a, five minute intermission oh Oh, man there's a character in henry danger who is directly stated to be the brother of cat valentine so i had to like watch a bunch of the show just to talk about that in my next video and i was like this show is the worst fucking thing i've ever seen which is probably one of the leading arguments to the fact that people are always like oh when you say nickelodeon sitcoms have gotten worse it's like saying i don't like the taste of baby food anymore but no but for real it's like we just watched an episode of drake and josh i enjoyed that so much more than Anything I've seen at Game Shakers or Henry Danger, I think the shows just got a lot worse, specifically around the time that they started shooting for a younger demographic. I agree, yes. Really, my only relationship with Henry Danger is that I keep getting it confused for the band Harvey Danger. (laughs) (laughs) Tyler, do you ever get those two confused for Rodney Dangerfield? (laughs) On occasion, yeah. Paranoia, paranoia, I give no respect whatever <laughs> paranoia paranoia everybody's gonna get laid <laughs> honestly one of the things that i've come to realize is that it's a similar reason why the iCarly reboot just doesn't work like this premise just doesn't work with adults it only works when you're kind of fun and kind of cringy as a kid don't give me any spoilers by the way i don't have paramount plus so you don't have to worry <laughs> my only spoiler is that it's better than fuller house by a margin. Okay, but with Fuller House, the bar is in hell, so... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Megan and Miranda Cosgrove's character from Despicable Me come out of the portals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think about it all the time. That's just such a random good luck pull from Miranda Cosgrove. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so many other children's sitcom stars never work again, and she basically was, that's what happened to her, except she also got a pretty substantial role in one of the biggest... <laughs> animated movies of all time yeah Yeah, honestly her checks are just going to be cashing for the rest of her life even if she never does anything ever again yeah she's just got that minion money coming in i'd be amazed if she never made a cameo in that school of rock series they did a few years ago that existed i don't think she did yeah no i don't think she did i don't even know if it's the same universe honestly i don't think it is i think it's the honey i shrunk the kids the tv show scenario in that case gotcha i don't know but getting into my relationship with uh drake and josh real quick Fucking loved this show. I specifically remember seeing the episode with the baby for the first time and thinking, hey, this show's pretty fucking great. No wonder these guys got their own show now. As for this, I don't really have much of a relationship with it. There's like one or two very specific jokes that I remember, but that's about it. I was also a big Tony Hawk fan at the time because I would play his games incessantly, especially american wasteland and underground 2 but i remember being very disappointed in how he's handled in this movie spoilers yeah maybe don't get celebrities for cameos that you can't afford (laughs) i think if i'm not mistaken they hype the hell out of his cameo as well in the promos that sounds likely you know it's funny going into this i was like i don't think i've seen this one and then as i was watching it there was only one joke that i distinctly remember 
that I distinctly anticipate. And that was the joke. It's not even a joke, I guess, but where they get stopped by FBI agents and it turns out it's more the bad guys. Yeah. That's the only thing I distinctly remember. The joke that I specifically remembered was the those darn boobs joke, which was a lot better than it had any fucking right to be. Yo, yeah, because you love those sitcom jokes where it feels like, wow, they spent four years building that one up. <laughs> <laughs> they really did. And I also remembered the patty cake joke when they were trying to sneak out of the place. And <laughs> by the way, fun fact I just realized about this movie it was released on January 6th. Oh, oh wow. God. Wow. I'll remember that because I wanted to do a tweet on January 6th. That was, that was like, I was trying to look for another thing from January 6th as a joke. <laughs> I couldn't find anything. If it helps, turns out Harley Quinn's debut on Batman the Animated Series um first aired on September 11th, so... <laughs> oh. I'm going to start celebrating that. That deserves to be Harley's day still. I, I've decided, you know what? I, I know they keep saying never forget, but I'm gonna forget. <laughs> also, there is gonna be a lot I can say about how they handle post 9-11 stuff in this movie once we get into it. Yeah. So, when I was a child, at first, I had zero interest in live action shows. I only ever wanted to watch cartoons. Live action stuff was just what my preteen cousins and neighbors watched. Then, there was two shows specifically that made me realize, oh shit, live action is good, actually. And that was That's So Raven and Drake and Josh. Yes, mm, which yeah. we also reviewed. It's coming full circle, y'all. Despite the problematic people attached to it, I fucking love Drake and Josh. That has to be one of the greatest things Nickelodeon aired, bar none. I've seen every Drake and Josh movie so far. This really big shrimp, the Christmas special, all of them. So for this, like, watching it was basically just a quick little retrospective. I pretty much remembered every detail of this movie because I would watch it anytime it came on. Nice. I actually never saw the Christmas movie, or at least not in full. I did. I watched it live, and I, I actually thought that's what we were, we were going to watch originally. I was confused. <laughs> <laughs> The Christmas one is weird. <laughs> what you need to know about the Christmas special is that Drake and Josh had like four fake endings. It, it ended f like four or five times. And then the Christmas special was like the final Drake and Josh piece of media where they were both in it. And it was this big thing that like in the iCarly era, they were doing a Drake and Josh movie and like a bunch of people who had outgrown Nickelodeon came back to watch it. And it wasn't bad, but it was like. The finale of Drake and Josh is good enough that it's like you should just stop watching there. Yeah. yeah. I feel like we knew that it had finally like run its course when Josh became like tall and skinny. Yeah. Well, I mean, we did get a couple of good episodes that season. I mean, we did get the runs over Oprah episode. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what I'd do without I ran over Oprah. <laughs> That's the Foam Finger season, I think. No, Foam Finger was season two. Okay, yeah. I keep getting confused because all my torrents are jumbled. I've learned how to keep track of which season is which based on how Josh looks in each retrospective episode. Like, yes, <laughs> you have, you know, little fat kid Josh with square hair, season one. Uh, Josh lost a little bit of weight. He's still pretty large, though. And now he's got the bushy hair, season two. Tall, <laughs> lanky, skinny Josh, season three. Also, you can cut this out if you want, but I relate so hard to Josh now as a former movie theater employee. I worked as one in 2019, and everything in that show was 100% accurate. Did you have a crazy Steve? Oh, God, I wish. I was the crazy Steve. Didn't really Big Shrimp end with the premiere burning down? Yeah, I think yep. so. <laughs> I think it does, and I think they give a nice little speech. But it's weird, because Nickelodeon aired them out of order, but that's Big Shrimp is supposed to be the last episode. And yeah. I always thought it was a beautiful finale, because it ends with them fighting over a shrimp. Yeah. Which is like a bookend to the Amanda Show skit, which I believe inspired the show. I do want to say real quick, it's really weird that the last piece of Drake and Josh media probably that will ever be made is the weird failed Drake and Josh ARG they did. Do you guys remember this? Oh, I don't remember. 
remember no. that. No. Dan Schneider had this air where he kept doing half reboots of his old shows pretty much on like no money. Is this the one where they act like Walter's, the, the dad's missing? Yeah, it's like Drake comes on and he's like, hey, it's me, Drake Bell from the, from the sitcom, Dra-, where he's in character, so whatever yeah. Drake's name is supposed to be. He's like, it's me, Drake from, from the sitcom, Drake and Josh. I don't know where my brother is. Can you help me find my dad? And then it's just one video and like the air didn't go anywhere. In that. that literally sounds like those like celebrity scam messages people get that have become a meme now like Tony, <laughs> Tony McGuire. Hey, it's Drake Bell from Drake and Josh. My dad's missing. I need $2,000. Please give me your credit card information. Please do not accept any private messages from Drake Bell. Good lord. Uh, <laughs> I will say that Drake Bell has always given me a vibe for the longest time because even before, you know, he was outed to be the person that he was, he was tweeting some really saucy shit back in the day. Yeah, I know that for years I was making fun of him and it got to a point where I was like, I can't remember why I'm doing this. I just feel like he gives off a vibe. He, he does. Sometimes I'm cursed when it comes to celebrity crushes, but I absolutely bet on the right horse when I crushed on Josh Peck as a kid over Drake Bell. Valid. Just saying. Oh yeah, me too. So this movie opens with Josh saying that he's never had any exciting adventures and he's trying to write an essay for his creative writing program. And I'm just like, bullshit. The first three seasons of the show, you have them losing a baby and Josh getting stuck on the roof and falling off looking for the damn kid. They go to jail after over counterfeit tickets. Oh, yeah. And also they go to jail over counterfeit stoves or whatever. Gary Coleman grills. Yeah, Gary Coleman grills, but they call them, ah, shit, what's his name again? George Foreman grills. Yes, the Gary Coleman grill is basically the George Foreman grill, but, you know, they changed the name to Gary Coleman, and it was supposed to be this, like, little grill that was basically the same as those mini grills. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and the Gary Coleman, the real Gary Coleman, comes in to bail them out. (laughs) And they also meet their tethers, basically, in Drew and Jerry. Yeah, so fuck off with that my life is boring bullshit. One thing I want to say real quick is that there's something a little off at the start of this movie because it's always a little strange when, like, uh... Drake and Josh isn't a live audience show, but a show that's like approaching that, that has like the breaks for the laugh track. It's like this movie feels a little off at the beginning because it feels like there's supposed to be a laugh track and it feels weird that it's not there, but you get used to it pretty soon. It's filmed like a Zoe 101 episode, Mm -hmm, despite the fact that this is a very clear sitcom set with no laugh track. And later on, when we get a scene in Drake and Josh's room, the lighting is so bad you can barely see what's even going on and you can feel the awkward pauses i get why they filmed it in the zoe 101 style because zoe 101 was an on location show none of that was on a set it was all like in a very specific uh college location and you know they were gonna film this you know in the streets of los angeles so i can see why they filmed it like that but the parts where it's like so obviously a set are so weird because the lighting is just off You can tell that there's, like, very specific angles they're trying not to get, so they don't show, like, the entire studio. (laughs) I felt like I was watching the parts in WandaVision where they start to go into the creepy factors, like... (laughs) Oh, yeah. This movie itself is kind of a stupid premise, in my opinion, and here's why. It's because this movie is, like, the episode's a psych, where they're like, we're gonna go to Canada! Whoa, I've never been there! It's, it's like the plot of this movie is they're supposed to send uh, Megan to Denver and they accidentally send her to L.A. So they were like, whoa, I guess we got to go to L.A. too. You know, never been there. And it's like, OK, guys, we all know you film. There's no part of Dragon Josh that doesn't look like L.A., OK? Yeah. <laughs> That's the, it's like they, they film on Sunset Boulevard. You can see the Hollywood sign from where you guys shoot. Shut up. <laughs> You've never been to L.A., but you live in fucking San Diego. I'm not sure how far it is, but it's close-ish enough, right? It is a two-hour drive. Yeah, it's kind of weird. If it's a two-hour drive, how come they've never been before? If it's a two-hour drive, why do they have to fly there? Also, what is San Diego but just LA too? I mean, I get wanting to avoid LA traffic, but like, it's still not that far. Oh yeah, but then the airport scenes in this movie are really weird. Because first of all, they go and drop Megan off at where her plane is landing. 
and they're in the airport with her. You can't go into like an airport unless you're getting on a plane. We're on the same page about this, right? Like they don't just let you into the airport if you don't have a ticket. And not only that, they just have no TSA there. And they have a woman who looks at Megan's ticket and still sends her on the wrong flight. (laughs) How much of their budget went into TSA if that apparently exists? I think this is like the one airport that just has never heard of 9 <laughs> 11. Yeah, it, just, it didn't come up there. You go to tell them, like, uh, you know, the Twin Towers, those were knocked down by two planes. And they're like, wait, the Twin Towers are gone? What? <laughs> Say, where's your guys' TSA? What the hell's the TSA? What are you talking about? We skipped over some parts that I wanted to talk about, which is like, the parents are nowhere to be seen in this entire thing because they're going on a cruise for 10 days, which the mom is not stoked about. (laughs) Fucking Walter is like, it's not a boat, it's a ship. Ships don't sink. And she's like, Titanic? That was just a movie based on a true story. Which, if Walter was not aware that the Titanic was a real ship, it's a little bit plausible that an airport that's never heard of 9-11 exists. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. That was just a Nicolas Cage movie. I gotta say, it's kind of great that the parents do virtually nothing in this movie because considering how shitty they are to Drake and Josh in the show over Megan. Yeah, and also there's a non-zero chance they were so gonna get divorced because the stepdad's basically forcing their mom to go on this cruise even though she literally did not approve of it at all. I'm like, this is some Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter shit. Yeah, like going back to episodes that really pissed us all off, the fucking Scared Straight episode where they decide that because the boys got in trouble for some reason that they should- Oh, it was a fake ID. They brought a fake ID to a club- Drake managed to tempt Josh because he said the club had churros. Oh my god. (laughs) Josh was so easily swayed into doing something illegal because of the promise of churros, which, like, relatable, I guess. (laughs) So because of that, they decide to enroll them in a fucking scared straight program, which... If you have to do that to your own fucking children, you fucking failed as parents, man. What what else is there to say? Like, it's bad enough that you motherfuckers constantly side with your horrible fucking daughter, but the fact that you decide that it's okay to traumatize your fucking sons just because of one fucking mistake? I hate to say this, but... You're making David and Jane Reed look like fucking responsible parents. Can I just say, by the way, any a couple things here. First of all, I see so many times people pitch like theoretical where would they be now situations. Any one of those situations where Megan isn't like an international terrorist is incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to make a whole video on the crimes of Drake and Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day. Megan was capable of some real Kevin McAllister shit, I gotta say. No, she was legitimately, I mean, she literally, I, like I said, she's stewie griffin she has like a bunch of like secret gadgets and like an endless pile of money it's weird also the parents get their comeuppance in this one because i'm pretty sure it's implied that megan spends like thirty thousand dollars because she got the presidential suite i have expected that the movie was gonna end like home alone 2 and end with walter screaming about how why he has a giant charge on his credit card i completely forgot that the credit card existed throughout this and i thought the reason Megan was getting all this shit, I thought she was getting this shit for free just for being a lost little girl in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, me good too. Good for her. <laughs> I kind of missed the whole mention of the credit card at first because literally it's so brief. Like they're saying, oh, here, take my phone. Oh, here, here, take this credit card. You're going to need it. Also, jumping back real quick to when Drake is playing the gig in the fucking old folks home because his manager sucks so hard. This performance in an old folks home somehow sounds like a professionally recorded, mixed and mastered recording and not the most reverberated sloppy shit. Yeah. And you also hear like a piano in the background, but there's like no piano player. So you just have like, the most half-assed lip-syncing and shit. And also, one of the old people just randomly calls him a communist, which I kind of love for <laughs> I like that a lot. I think it's weird that they spent so much time setting up that, like, laser light show, and it had no justifiable payoff. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I guess the payoff was, you know, the old people being scared of it. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's it. Yeah, the simultaneous amp-slash-laser-light show thingy, which... I'm a fucking musician. That's not how amps work. I mean, I know jack shit about guitars, but 
I've been around guitarists enough to know amps don't do that shit. But it's fun. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I should mention this was before like the airplane scene. Right in between that, there's like a scene where like Drake's just like, okay, I'm gonna go get a corn dog. And it takes him an hour and a half. That scene was an ADHD mood, I gotta say. Like, I have spent literally an hour in the 7-Eleven parking lot telling myself, okay, go in and get a Cheetos. Okay, go in, go in. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not kidding. I spent an hour at the mall today. All I got was a necklace at Spencer's. But also, I would definitely watch a movie comprised entirely of boomers roasting the shit out of drake bell yes oh, i thought you were gonna say you would spend an hour watching a movie of drake bell oh no it's failing <laughs> to get a corn dog <laughs> damn it you know i really hate to admit it but drake bell's music really shouldn't be as good as it is Seriously? i know right it's so much better than the music in victorious I mean, yeah it's so weird Speaking of amazing music, we gotta talk about Backhouse Mike. So, not only does he do the backup vocals for basically, like, every Drake Bell song that he did under, you know, Nickelodeon. Yeah. But he did the Christmas song. He, he did pretty much all the intros for these Drake and Josh movies. Um, He did the intro for this one. It's just a one-minute song called Get It Right. The dude not only carried all these Dan Schneider shows musically, he carried the entire vibe of mid-2000s Nickelodeon in its entirety. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, kind of the same way the Jive 5 defined Nickelodeon through, like, the 90s and the early 2000s, and God, I wish Backhouse Mike and the Jive 5 could have done the greatest, like, Nickelodeon music crossover ever. And now he's really controversial, but anyways. Yeah, Kit and Randy, I don't know if you guys know this, but he is actually married to Liz Gillis. Gillies. Backhouse Mike? Oh! He wrote music for Victorious, and there was the 16-year-old on the show named Liz Gillies, who played Jade, and, uh, well, it's contended when they started dating, but anyways, everyone hates him now because he's married to someone who- Backhouse Mike? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, you know what? That's it. Jive Five are like the only unproblematic Nickelodeon musicians now. I mean, I'm glad that Drake and Josh was essentially my introduction to power pop and stuff like that because there are so many better bands that I could be listening to than Drake Bell. Yeah, I will say for Drake Bell, one of the worst things about him besides everything is that his song for superhero movie of all things kind of slaps. I hate that he's covered a Jellyfish song. Jellyfish does not deserve that. (sighs) It is weird that I feel like Drake Bell was almost set up to have a pop career, but pop just I feel like pivoted at the exact moment where he would have had a chance Where it's just like, Drake Bell fits very much in 2005, but once you get past, like, post-2008, it's like, why why is Drake Bell here? (sighs) I kind of love how Nickelodeon really wanted, like, Drake Bell, Miranda Cosgrove, and Victoria Justice to be, like, their music success stories. And they kind of put, like, Ariana Grande on the back burner for a while. Exactly. But guess who is, like... A triple A lister now. Huzzah! <laughs> the funniest end joke to it is Disney Channel made an iCarly knockoff, and the star of that knockoff also is one of the biggest artists in the world now. Fuck yeah. Was, so Nickelodeon must have been like, what the fuck? <laughs> Wait, so when we did iCarly, it didn't go anywhere musically. But when you do iCarly, then Olivia Rodrigo is the biggest star in the world. What the fuck? (laughs) Disney really just kind of won at turning teeny boppers into pop stars. We got Miley Cyrus. We got Olivia Rodrigo. Zendaya. We got Demi Lovato. All of these people. The Jonas Brothers. And all Nickelodeon could manage to turn out was Ariana Grande. But not the ones they were trying to get on top. <laughs> Some people would debate Big Time Rush, but like, let's be real, Big Time Rush doesn't count. This is yeah. <laughs> we just all liked the show. On a quick side note, I also gotta say, I'm kind of amazed Liz Giles didn't go on to be a bigger singer because her music's actually not bad. I really like her song, You Don't Own Me. Yeah, Liz Gillies is really talented. I mean, she's still doing stuff for what it's worth. She still does. She does a lot of music with Ariana Grande. That's why a lot of people know her. Oh, yeah. that's cool. I mean, think about it. Her and Ariana Grande came from Broadway. Victoria Justice came from Zoe 101. <laughs> yeah, that's the difference, isn't it? But like the thing really is that like Victoria Justice is an actress that can sing and then Ariana Grande is a singer that can act and then for both of those sentences you put a question mark at the end. 
like I feel like watching Victorious, I do get the distinct feel that it's like Ariana Grande would not make a good main character of this show. Yeah. Uh, Jade probably would, but Ariana Grande, her main suit talent really is singing, but it's so fucking weird that the show just doesn't give her songs for the, for like, she has three songs at the point that I'm at right now. Like, like three (laughs) legit songs. And I'm, I'm almost done with the show. And again, I party with Victorious did her so fucking dirty, man. Not just from a singing standpoint, but the fact that she had barely even any lines to begin with. Yeah. Wait, what are you talking about? I'm sorry. Oh, no. Are I was talking about I Party with Victorious. Oh, that in, in the special. Yeah, she doesn't in the have special. Lines. Yeah. I, I thought you were saying that Kat doesn't have lines in the show Victorious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, there's a storyline in the crossover that she gets laryngitis, so she can't talk for the entire special. But she does get to sing at the end, so that's good. He didn't say I could sing. I wanted to play that so bad. Violent Realization. Cat and Peter Griffin are essentially the same type of character. <laughs> I would argue that Cat is the lesser of two evils, though. They're both dangerous, violent idiots. Oh, yeah, that's a fair way to put it. Like, they have killed people. Like, their stupidity actively makes them dangerous. Hey, Jay, yeah. remember the time that I did 9-11? Another thing about Cat and Peter Griffin that make them similar is that both of them are extremely talented singers doing a silly voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Seth MacFarlane and Liz Gillies did like a weird, I guess it was like an opera-esque album. It was weird. Huh. Oh, and I think it was like a 1930s style album, but they did a whole thing. Oh, neat. Also, they add in a plot where Josh becomes uh, Drake's manager. Yeah. Hey, Drake, let me, the guy with no musical skill or industry experience whatsoever, manage your band. I'm perfect for the job. That's not going to end in disaster. Surprisingly, it doesn't. (laughs) Josh isn't trained in the music industry, but put him in a bathroom with a wacky situation going on. He will get the job done. And that's what happened. (laughs) (laughs) Also, like the concert footage. The concert footage that is very badly green screened on Josh's laptop <laughs> when he's like throwing it in the bathroom to the guy. Mm. <laughs> That's how he gets Drake on Total Request Live on MTV, which, by the way, isn't it so convenient that Nickelodeon and MTV are owned by the same parent company? New thing. Look at the back lot. Look at the back lot. Look at the back lot. Total Request Live has been on since, uh, well, it, it, it ended around like 2008, but it was on since uh, 1998 and it kind of became like a staple in like MTV's lineup. Well, I'll be honest. I didn't know that was a real thing. I thought they made it up. I did too. But what I was going to say was the footage that's pretty much just slapped on Josh's laptop is pretty much just recycled footage from the Zoe 101 episode where Drake Bell is himself and not Drake Parker. It is. Yeah, I remember that. (laughs) It turns the whole Schneiderverse into a total confusing mess. I'll be honest. I hate it when people do that. It's like, whoa, I found a discovery that totally totally changes the entire universe it's like oh is it going to be that there's a show where something is set in the universe but is also a show well there's this one thing where dragon joss is a show and it's set in the universe it's like that's every single thing in the universe (laughs) (laughs) that's the only consistency everything is set in the universe and is a show also on the imdb page for this movie they literally admit under the trivia that they ripped it off from the partridge family when danny partridge slid a tape recorder to get reuben kincaid's attention the classic partridge family i knew that i recognized it immediately (laughs) you didn't even have to tell me that also jumping ahead but we'll jump back in a second when josh opens the computer and plays the video in the bathroom again professionally mixed and mastered sounds good but there's no fucking reverb coming from the bathroom whatsoever. There's no <laughs> pissing sounds. You would expect that. Oh, by the <laughs> way, these are some of the like most perfect speakers you'll ever find on any laptop. Yeah, it's not just sheer mid-range that'll blast your ears out. I feel like even if that agent was absolutely desperate for a new act, it wouldn't be that easy to get on the show. I, I feel like the question would just be, dude, why did you throw your laptop under my bathroom? stall i'm calling the police <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird the only thing i would say is that I, I i was watching drake pell perform in that last song and i was just like it felt like he was really channeling like paul mccartney like he had this weird beatles kind of head shake going on yeah, and i was yeah. like that doesn't feel of the era it feels anachronistic for him to be doing that <laughs> But these shows were made by really old people. It kind of makes sense when you realize that kind of like how the 2020s 
are obsessed with the Y2K era. The entire 2000s basically was really obsessed with, like, the 60s and the 70s. Yeah, I have a hard time believing that someday the 2010s are going to be considered memorable, but who knows? My childhood bedroom from, like, 2004 to 2009 was, like, an entire, like, I mean, I didn't really know it at the time, but... It was kind of like an entire, like, psychedelic-ish polka dots. Not really psychedelic, but kind of more like, you know, fancy-ish 1960s, like, polka dot curtains, all that good stuff. Same matching bed sheets. Yeah. And the Beatles were definitely a big obsession in the mid-2000s, so. So in the plotline, we find out that the U.S. Treasury Department has had, like, a money printing machine stolen. <laughs> the way to unlock the money printing machine is you get a specific iPad touch, iPod touch or whatever. It's literally an iPod classic. It really is. No, it's not even an iPod classic. It's a fucking Zune at best. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's a Zune. It's a, it's a, you have to get a fucking Zune to, to use any device at the Treasury Department. Also, we get the first fucking Dan Schneider self-insert in the movie because of course the dude loves the sound of his own fucking voice (laughs) yeah there's four of these in this movie the first one is when he introduces the news the second one is the airplane um announcement when megan is uh yeah he's on the airplane announcing the flight he does megan's wake up call and then he voices a bystander in the background of the car chase scene because why the fuck not he's not arrogant at all Yeah, he he surely doesn't have an ego or anything. The Megan airplane scene is the one where, well, so far she's like up to the flight attendant, like, you know, are you sure this isn't going to Denver? She's like, no, this is going to Los Angeles. And then she says, those dumb boobs. And the flight attendant looks at her own boobs. Yeah, that joke's great. I never got that as a kid. And then when I watched it when I was a little older and I saw it, I never laughed so hard. Also, going back a bit to when they're driving to the airport, how many times in this podcast are we going to be able to go back to the ew, it's a dead bird gag from the Weird Al show? Because... There's literally a dead bird. Drake literally has a dead bird in his car, and he's like, aw, Tweeter died. (laughs) (laughs) Such a dumb bit. You know what? I would say something, but my car is a cesspit on its own, so... Also, I still stand by the fact that Josh should have permanently cut Drake out of his life in the Josh is Done episode, because he stole his Geo. Also, we should talk about the freakout scene. Yes. Man, it sure is a good thing that Drake and Josh are white, huh? Yeah, oh, God. But also, I love when these scenes happen because it gets to show just how amazing Josh is at comedy acting. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. He's fantastic at slapstick, I gotta say. At this point, I kind of get why they make Josh the butt of misery because he has just the best fucking reactions to literally anything. Also, I kind of like the little touch of when Drake and Josh decide to go on the flight and they go back to the stewardess. She pulls up a can of pepper spray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it would have been hilarious if she just like sprayed like both of them. Honestly, she should have sprayed Drake, especially. <laughs> I did get a laugh out of the cell phone gag. That was perfectly <laughs> executed. So before Megan gets on the plane, she's like, you know, she gives Josh your phone. Is like, hold my phone. Josh forgets to give it to her. So then Drake's like, I'm just going to call Megan, which first of all, even if Megan did have her cell phone, that wouldn't work because you're not supposed to have your phone on in an airplane. They make you either turn it off or put it on airplane mode. So that wouldn't work. You'd have to wait the, I don't know, five minutes it would take for her to land in Los Angeles. But he calls your cell phone and (laughs) Josh with the fucking best look on his face goes like, hello. (laughs) (laughs) And then, no, they're, they're arguing with each other on their cell phone. <laughs> on the cell phones. And Josh just like hangs up and Drake's like, don't hang up on me. <laughs> I just love that they remain on the phone instead of just regularly talking to each other and they treat it like they're actually arguing over the phone. So the fucking plane scene. Oh my god. I wanted that couple to die so bad. I have dealt with the likes of Baby Bop. I have dealt with the likes of Dermy the Elf. I have dealt with Jimbo from Jimboree, and yet these two motherfuckers were my 
goddamn breaking point. Yes. Good lord. They did accurately capture what happens when you're forced into a shitty plane seat. I'll give them that much. It was just hella painful to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Probably fat phobic as far as I'm concerned. Oh yeah, no, without a doubt. Okay, so this fucking plane scene, the whole conceit of it is that Josh is stuck with these two assholes screaming at each other and fucking mugging and falling on each other while drake is hooking up with two random women that he doesn't even know gee that aged well yep and then the plot kind of kicks off because he comes across a shady dude on the plane when he changes his seat yeah josh moves seats and comes across the dude who's got like secret government money plans on his zune and so this other guy has like a secret government zune oh by the way he's looking at it on a crowded airplane you are a stupid criminal was tsa investigating phones at this point and making sure they passed the smell test i have no idea especially currently knowing that there are men who are wanted for stealing an entire like government issued money printer or whatever the hell they're called wouldn't they be like on the lookout for something like that yeah, exactly. You'd be checking the zooms. I agree. And then they end that fucking bit, which kind of stirs the conflict a bit. When the fat lady falls on Josh, making both of the guys' geos switch with each other, basically. So Josh accidentally takes the geo with all the fucking criminal data and whatnot. Yeah, and wouldn't he have seen the label on the back or the lack of label on the back? Yeah, that's the thing. He literally labels it property of josh parker similar to mary kate and ashley you cannot get a limo that easily especially at a fucking airport in los angeles and not only that megan gets the fucking presidential suite in the best hotel in la it didn't even look like the presidential suite it looked like a pretty average well still expensive room but also we gotta throw in a paramount pictures establishing shot because we gotta obey those sweet sweet viacom overlords yay Let's get into that Tony Hawk cameo, shall we? What was that? He's there and then he's not. I think it's pretty great, honestly. It's just, it's like, like, oh my God, is that Tony Hawk? Hey, I'm Tony Hawk. I gotta go. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of would have loved if he just didn't even show up in the movie. He was just like, I'm gonna show up. And then he just takes his check and leaves. (laughs) That's essentially what he did though, kid. The gist of Tony Hawk's cameo is that he drives up in a, sweet ass car gives it to the valet and then just walks into the fucking hotel and takes his check i just gotta wonder did viacom like have some sort of deal with dodge or something because they seem to kind of make a pretty big point out of the fact that this car is specifically a dodge viper i just find it so wild that in a movie that literally takes place in hollywood this is the only celebrity cameo that we get And it's fucking, it's crumbs of a cameo. I don't even think it even deserves to be called a fucking cameo. God damn, they used Gary Coleman better than this. Going back to Keenan and Kel, they did a better Hollywood episode than this with a whole bunch of cameos. They got Britney Spears. I think they got Bill Bellamy for it, if I'm not mistaken. But still, they don't even bring him back when... That he finds out that his car gets stolen. They have to have his agent fucking show up and say, Hey, Tony's fine with you taking his car. Just go. How are the Muppets better at cameos than this? Fucking seriously. So you think that like, as a celebrity, you'd rather go on Drake and Josh than the Muppets? (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) You raise a very good point. I'm amazed they didn't get cameos from other Nickelodeon sitcom stars and say, oh, that's famous celebrity insert star here. I think they should just had a scene with Drake and Josh walking around and being like, Look over there. That's that's that celebrity, and they just don't show it. They don't. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, look! It's the back of Kelly Clarkson's head. (laughs) Oh my god! Is that Beyonce's left ring finger? Oh hey, it's the Dixie Chicks. They're getting harassed by a crowd. Hey, look! It's Jennifer Aniston's body double. Also, I related so hard to that housekeeper when she basically kept silent when the criminals messed up the room. Yeah, so how did the criminals know how to track Drake and Josh down automatically? Yeah, right? It's weird. Well, because Josh asked for directions to a hotel, so they knew that, right? Yeah. So they go to the hotel. How do they know what room they're in? They don't. 
It's a hashtag plot hole. Maybe they have like some tracking device on the Jigos or on or whatever they're called. I'll give them credit. I'm glad they kind of went with an original brand name instead of something like the Pintendo GS. <laughs> which, yes, that was something they used on Drake and Josh. Megan, what are you doing in our room? Look at some of my Pintendo GS. So these big bad guys, they want their government Zoom back. So they track down Drake and Josh and they say, hey, give us the Zoom. But Josh is a goody two-shoes. So they chase him through the hotel and then they steal Tony Hawk's car. Yeah, the valet just leaves Tony Hawk's car completely unattended. I don't know how or why they do this, but they literally just leave Tony Hawk's car right there with the keys in. Also, like that one line from Drake where he says to Josh after he took the deal, what are you, a cop? Uh, Yeah, that's a reasonable reaction. What are you, a cop? You could have just... Saved all of our asses by just saying, here you go, here's your geo back, go print your money, we didn't see anything. Also, how can this iPod from 2005 store all this elaborate criminal data on it? Like, I get it, it's 2005, you're trying to be all slick and cool with technology and everything, but you just don't know how it works. Especially since this is pre-iPhone times, where it's a lot easier to keep that stuff in, in check. I don't know. I feel like that's like a little nitpicky because I feel like you can find a version of that from any era. Personally, I think it's really, really funny. I'd prefer it to be like that than it to be something else. I kind of love like the little dumb computer noises that come out of it and just the random like lines of code and loading bars that show up. Matrix scrolling. I love what TV producers think computers are. And I also love during the car chase between Drake and Josh and the two other guys. You have, like, pretty decently filmed convertible actually driving footage, and then it cuts to the two thieves in the car, and it's just the worst fucking Nickelodeon green screen. Oh, yeah, then there's the FBI, which, first of all, I don't think anyone in the FBI would be driving, like, a shitty Chevy Suburban. I feel like FBI Suburbans are a lot more advanced than that. That that just looks like something that came out of the nearest used car dealer. So they get stopped by fake FBI, as they just said, and they think it's real FBI, but it turns out it's the criminals, and they get kidnapped. And now that Drake and Josh have been kidnapped, it's up to Megan to save their asses. So the next day, Megan realizes they're gone and she finds the wallet of one of the bad guys and she finds an address and so it's up to megan to save them she finds the address like the day before and then just ignores it and doesn't do anything about it yeah she's just she's just she goes oh they'll be back oh yeah and we also skip the bathroom scene too when uh josh is talking to the music executive because He's trying to get Drake booked on the show, and he goes on this whole speech like, Oh man, Drake is going to do some really amazing things someday. And I know this is obvious, but they really oversell Drake's talent in this bit because he's good, but the way Josh sets this up is like, Oh man, when he wins a Grammy, he's going to have you to thank. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty funny in retrospect. It's Drake Bell, not Blink-182. Yeah. So, is this actually how counterfeiting works? No. You just stick an iPhone onto a thing, and then it just prints all this goddamn money out? Most counterfeiters don't go through the process of stealing government technology, because they just hope that people won't check if it has the mark or whatever. Yeah, how are they able to steal this from the fucking capital, by the way? Well, uh... Uh... All I want to say is, we need to make it explicitly clear that, like, this government Zoom isn't some technology that the forgers have, like, pieced together explicitly. Like, the giant machine they have has, like, a place to put the zoom so like the government yeah. uses the zoom in actual print that's that's their security <laughs> procedure and they had to steal one of the zooms <laughs> they didn't know that the united states printing press had an ipod dock yeah it's fucking amazing that the creator of several kids shows that utilize technology in such an interesting way doesn't know how technology works. Oh, come on. I think that's unfair because this is a show made for 12-year-olds. It's still kind of fun to nitpick because, like, I'm an IT student right now and, like, this shit is still kind of complicated to me, so I'm not an expert, but I love picking at it. Like, that's not... It doesn't make those noises. 
Coding is a lot more tedious than that. I also gotta say, it is funny watching things about how bad it is to print fake money in an era where now people are making fake money on a blockchain. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so basically, uh, Drake and Josh know too much. These criminal people, they print half a billion dollars with this machine and they're like we're gonna be so rich we're gonna get out of here and then they're like and we're gonna kill drake and josh i'm surprised they didn't kill drake and josh sooner that's the thing no witnesses well i mean it's just like do you really want to juggle all that where it's like all right we'll kill these people yeah we only got like 10 people let's focus on the money first i gotta talk about megan in this like entire thing because the climax is essentially you know triggered when she takes the limousine that she's now using as her own personal Uber, I guess. She takes the limousine down to the address from the suspicious wallet, you know, instead of calling the police and saying, my brothers are missing, here is this address. She waits to go to the warehouse, looks through the thing, and then calls the police. And I just gotta ask, is it just me or... Did Megan just kind of magically turn into an idiot this entire special? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like, they really dumbed down Megan. Yeah. <laughs> she should have thought that one through. I know she's only nine years old, but it's like, still, they've repeatedly made it clear that this nine-year-old is an evil genius, so why is she suddenly stupid? What you have to remember about Megan is just that. I mean, first of all, she didn't know what the context of the address was. Second of all... I think to her, there was like this in her head. It was like, because this is a situation where I can call the police or can I like have some mischievous fun, which she ultimately does. Yeah. She's like, she's such a trickster. She tries to call the police, but it breaks up. I mean, I'll give it this. It's not the cop's fault directly for once. And also those criminals have the worst possible hideout because Megan could easily just lift a flap and see what they were doing inside. <laughs> Yeah, which is an amazing special effect, by the way. It's so convincing. <laughs> because everyone knows when I'm doing FBI's most wanted level crimes, I'm going to do it in a warehouse in the middle of Los Angeles. Yeah. Huzzah. And I'm going to leave the doors unlocked, by the way. And also the best part of the movie, Josh punching Drake square in the face. Oh yeah, Megan turns on the fans. She like sneaks around the warehouse, turns on the fans. The money flies everywhere. Shenanigans ensue. Also... Going back just a bit, we're victims of circumstance, our words to live by. I mean, really, they are. They did nothing wrong, and I'm glad nobody, like, specifically blamed them for it. Yeah, this did have a nice ending, I do gotta say. Yeah, so let's talk about that ending. So eventually, they get out, they get Tony Hawk's car, he says, hey guys, it's okay if you stole it, I would do the same thing too. Oh no, it's not Tony Hawk, it's Tony Hawk's manager, because they couldn't afford more than two nanoseconds of his face. <laughs> Again, that is some fucking bullshit right there. And also, TRL isn't filmed in LA, it's filmed in New York. Well, they decided to magically film it in LA. <laughs> oh yeah, and Carson Daly's not here anymore, because I guess Very Merry Muppet Christmas movies scared him away from playing himself for a cheap cameo. And also, I gotta love that there was apparently no reports whatsoever of them coming out of a hostage situation. That's the thing about these shows is that like any one thing that happens in one of these seasons would be something that they should write a book about. <laughs> it's just like it was just like no one ever no one maintains memories in these universes. I theorize it's like the satellite everyone's brains in these universes are scrambled. Because they have to deal with the fact that, like, at any point in this universe, there's also a TV show of what you're doing right now. So there's some kind of mind wipe thing going on that's just, like, fucking up everyone's minds. And so no one's thinking straight. <laughs> One more note I have before I'm eventually wiped out is that I am so glad Megan's friend did not get dirty. Because the whole time I was just worried that they would forget about her entirely and have her not go to Denver. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, they kind of luckily, like, gave us that convenient, you know, oh, all the flights to Denver were canceled anyway, so. Yeah. <laughs> but also, I can't imagine how inferior Megan's friend is going to feel when she inevitably tells her about all this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah she's oh, by the way, we finally have something that we have watched where the cops do their jobs and aren't incompetent. Holy Kinda. shit. Yeah. Wouldn't it be awesome if police were like that in real life? <laughs> and then it just ends with them managing to snag two girls and that's it. 
<laughs> Not after the TRL performance with perfect acoustics, no reverb, didn't rehearse beforehand. They just had the band drive to LA the day before. <laughs> it's an important plot point in the movie, actually, that they never actually remember to pick a song. So just everyone in the band and Drake automatically know which song they're going to sing when they never decided. I mean, in all fairness, that is kind of more truthful in real life than you would think. And I mean, they're on TV, you know, it's going to sound polished regardless. So who cares? Well, the only curiosity I have about this episode is I love those Nickelodeon fake out endings where they're like, wow, we've, we've really made it. Yeah. You go to New York. I'm going to get you a record deal. You betcha. Hey, do you think we're going to remember this one in the next season? (laughs) (laughs) Do you think it's just going to be gone? (laughs) Nope. As soon as the new season starts, I'm going to be back to a starving, tortured artist. They do kind of reference it in really big shrimp, but yeah, otherwise. (laughs) Alrighty. So do we give Drake and Josh Go Hollywood a keep the tapes, put in the donation box, or burn the tapes? Starting with Quentin. I don't want to BBC these tapes, uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I think this one's, I'd give it thumbs up, whatever that one was. Keep. Yeah, keep the tapes. It's good enough. Drake and Josh just was charming enough that even something subpar is worth watching at least yeah. once. Yeah. I wouldn't watch this one again unless my audience forces me to, but otherwise <laughs> I don't need to watch this one, more than once every two decades. Yeah. For me, it's going to be a put in the donation box. It's okay, but... It's really not the best thing Drake and Josh has done, even though, you know, I'm still glad we talked about it, but yeah, there's there's better Drake and Josh things to watch. Like the Blues Brothers episode. Yes! yes! That one is a masterpiece. I'm gonna give it a put in the donation box as well. Honestly, it's not a bad movie, but it doesn't really work as a movie. It's a thing that would have been perfectly fine as a 40-minute TV special, but as a movie, it kind of drags and just has a really weird premise. And overall, though, it's harmless as far as, well, as although I do say burn Drake Bell and Dan Schneider. Agreed. And backhand Mike. Fuck it. <laughs> So yeah, I agree. Burn all the problematic people, but I'm going to have to go with a hard keep the tapes on this one. I don't know if it's just my nostalgic bias or something, but I loved revisiting this. I just love Drake and Josh. Like, yeah, it had weird pacing. Yeah, it was awkward and mean at a few times, but god damn, when it hit, it fucking just hit. It is so fun. When it's funny, it is like really, really funny. So yeah, solid keep. <laughs> All right. So Quentin, thank you so much for joining us today. Is there anything you want to plug? Uh, check out that gram. That gram yeah. life. I'm living Hell it. Hell yeah. I'm living <laughs> it. Yeah, but I know I have a YouTube channel and you can, if you search I binged iCarly, you'll find my stuff. But uh, thank you guys uh, for having me on. It's been pretty fun. Yeah, it's been it was really great having you on, man. Yeah. It's always nice to have a fellow Max Headroom Cup owner here. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you can find me over on The Usual, on Mission Breakout on Twitter and Discord. And that's kind of it for my social media these days because I'm trying to avoid the site as much as possible for the sake of my mental health. And if you excuse me, I'm going to go try to find the speed that which lobsters do die. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cosmic Rewind, replace the E with the three. You can find me on YouTube by the same name. Uh, I just have some, you know, shitpost videos there, but I might start making videos soon. Uh, You can find me on TikTok um, at Dale Earnhardt's Persona. And you can also find... Oh, hey, there's a shrimp on the ground. Hey, hey, that's mine. That's my shrimp. Put it down. I I enjoy crustaceans. Ah, my eye. Might taste like the bottom of a shoe at this point, so no thanks. (laughs) And as for me, you can find me on the usual spots, TylerFG on Twitter, TylerFG96 on Instagram. As for the podcast, you can find us at channel underscore KRT on Twitter, channel KRT podcast, all one word on Instagram. We also have our Facebook group and our Discord server, which you can find in the link tree in our bio. And if you want to help support us, you can also check out our Patreon, where we have early episodes of this podcast, exclusive outtakes, and minisodes. And speaking of which, thank you to Gomer and Chris Rayner for pledging to us at the $10 level. Channel KRT, cut to static. All right. Static! <laughs> <laughs> nice.